Praise God. Thank you, Dave. I, I must admit, I could just spend all day in the presence of praise and worship like that. It just, it just ministered to my heart. Wasn't it wonderful? Yeah. God's presence was really here. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's just ask God's blessing upon the word that he'd make it live, that we wouldn't have any boring preachers. Okay. <laughs> you need to pray hard. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you and glorify you, Lord. We want to magnify your wonderful name. Lord, we ask that there would be an impartation of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that it wouldn't just be the words of a man, but that we would hear the heartbeat of God, that we would see, Lord, what you're trying to say to us and speak into our heart and into our life and into our spirit. So, Heavenly Father, we, we ask your blessing and your anointing on those that, as I speak, and Lord, on those that hear, that, Father, we would come into that divine presence, into your holy presence, into the holy of holies, because we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. How grateful we are to you for the Spirit's power and anointing. So, Lord, thank you. Bless this word, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. This morning, I, I was actually going to preach uh, this message last week, and then Steve phoned me up and said, Hey, can I, can I uh, actually do my testimony um, the previous week? So, um, you know, I said, that, that, That's fine. So, you, you, uh, I, I prayed and I worked, worked harder on, on the message that I was going to share last week. So, um, so if uh, Grant was supposed to hear this message, you should have come last week because that's when it was destined for. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lovely to see Darwin and to see, see you all. And I welcome our visitors and really good to be in God's presence. So as I was waiting upon the Lord, I was thinking, Lord, what is it that you want me to, uh, to, to speak on? And, you know, I was just waiting and, and like the presence of God came upon me and I was just really basking. It was like that worshipful, you know, I'm thinking, oh God, I, I could just stay in this place, just not in a hurry to speak. And, just, and I was just abiding in his presence and soaking in all that God was doing. And I, I just felt he said one word, Mephibosheth. It's quite a hard word to say, but you know, that's what God spoke. So I said, okay. And I prayed about it. And I felt I needed to share something about Mephibosheth. And so that, that's really what we're going to be looking at, the life of Mephibosheth this morning. And we're going to be looking at some of the names of the characters involved in his story. Uh, and so uh, it, it's quite amazing because as we look at these particular things, the, the names of uh, people and places in the Bible are extremely significant. And everyone said? Amen. 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 That side believes. We've got to work on this side. <laughs> but, but it's true. The names uh, uh, in, in the scriptures of people and places uh, have hidden meanings, a deeper understanding of all that, that's going on. So uh, I want us to uh, look at this particular passage found in Second Samuel chapter 9 if you've got your Bibles I'm not going to read the, the scripture throughout we're going to break it up verse by verse and just look at the different meanings uh, as we go through we'll just see how far we get um, but I want to start in, in um, uh, verse 1 of 2nd Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1 and uh, I, I want to just draw your attention that there are wonderfully hidden meanings in this particular passage of scripture and we won't be exploring all of them by any means, but we'll, we'll certainly look at a couple of them. But First Samuel, chapter, uh, sorry, Second Samuel, chapter nine, verse one. And David asked, "Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake?" So here David wants to bless the house of Saul. 
But do you remember how Saul treated David? David was always being hunted by Saul. He was uh, Saul's favorite pastime was trying to kill David. And everywhere he went, he, w- he was really showing animosity uh, because he was jealous. He, w- he was afraid of, of David because he saw him as a rival to his throne. And so the house of Saul was dedicated uh, at, at, uh, to destroy uh, the, the life of David. In fact, it's very interesting that... that he wants to now bless his enemies, you see. And uh, Saul, Saul had been trying to uh, kill David. And uh, David says, can I show kindness? That, that word kindness to the house of Saul is, is the Hebrew word chesed. And chesed actually means to show favor, kindness, and mercy. It's quite a radical thing if you think about it. The, 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 the house that's been trying to annihilate him and destroy everything that he stands for. Now David turns around and says, I want to show kindness, mercy and favor to, to, to this house. You know, it's, it's quite something. We, especially when, when you see in, in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 1, you actually see uh, the, uh, what King Saul trying to do. He called Jonathan and all the king's servants and he said, you guys have got to kill David. Quite something. You guys have got to kill David. You know, what was Saul doing? He was putting an open contract. That's what we'd say today. The mafia said, let's take this guy out. It's an open contract. It was an invitation to murder. And if you had killed David, you'd have been doing the king a service. And, uh, you know, it, but poor old David was an innocent man. And this really was an abuse of royal power and privilege. It was an abuse of his office. He was there to protect the people, not to annihilate rivals, not to assassinate those people who got in his way. The king is there to protect the people. Can you say amen? Amen. But here, Saul had totally violated everything and he was sold out to, to David's destruction. And David wants to bless the house of Saul. You know, it's, it, that is quite something. He wants to bless the house of Saul. He wants to show mercy, kindness, and uh, bless his enemies. Isn't that the same uh, teaching that Jesus gave it to us in the, in the New Testament? Now he said that we've got to uh, love, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Amen. You know, our natural reaction is if you hurt me, watch out, boy, I'm coming for you. But here David has been persecuted, hunted, and, 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 and they would love to assassinate. He turns around and he says, I want to chesed. I want to bless the house of Saul. And it's an amazing thing. So, you know, we wonder why uh, David was a man after God's own heart. Here is, I believe, one of the reasons uh, that he was so popular in God's sight is that he was willing to, to love. He was willing to show mercy and grace and kindness to his enemies. He was going beyond just uh, loving his enemies. He was actually showing them all this favor. Most people want revenge, you know. They would have seen this as an opportunity. The house of Saul has been impoverished uh, by the war uh, with the Philistines. And now uh, David, for the first time in his life, had the upper hand. And some people have said, man, I, I, you know, now is the time to strike because the house of Saul is weak and I can, I can take advantage of this. But David doesn't do it. He says, I want to chesed. I want to show kindness uh, to uh, these people. Amen. And so it's really quite something when you consider the context of even verse 1 as we go through. Um, why did David do this? 
because he'd made a covenant with Saul's son, Jonathan. And their hearts had been knit together. And we'll get into it in, in a little while. But, but that's really why he wanted to honor the covenant that he'd made with, with Saul's son and, and, and bless uh, the, the, the house of Saul. You know, when you think of all the intrigue, the plots, the schemes, the assassination tents, the jealousy of Saul, and, and the fact that uh, Saul saw him as a rival and was out to destroy him, now David wants to uh, bless him, show kindness, mercy, and favor. I hope that's speaking to you this morning, because I'm sure that, that the injustices that we've experienced are not quite on the scale that David experienced. I don't know of anybody that's been out to assassinate me. Except, except when I was a soldier, but, but that, was a, that was a totally different thing. But, you know, generally speaking, we don't have that kind of conflict. And yet we find ourselves very unable at times to show mercy and love to our enemies. And here David was doing just that. And we read about this covenant that he makes with, uh, with uh, Jonathan. And we find it in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the family of David and swore to it with a terrible curse against himself and his descendants that if he should be unfaithful to his promise. And so here it is. The reason that David wants to bless the house of Saul is because of the covenant. At this point in history, um, Saul and all his sons have died. Even Jonathan is dead. And uh, uh, David finds out that he has one descendant a small boy called Mephibosheth. Uh, he grows up over the period of time, but at the time that, that uh, he finds out about his father and grandfather's death, he's only five years old. And when the news comes that, that Saul and, and the army had been defeated, the nurse picks up uh, uh, Mephibosheth and runs with him and, and falls. And as a result of the fall, uh, he is forever crippled. From that point on in his life, he, he becomes a cripple because of the things that happened in the fall. And so the nurse picked him up and, and carried him out of danger. I want you to remember that particular thought, that the nurse uh, lifted him from the fall. And so let's just go on and, and look at a couple of more verses. Again, reading from verse 3 and 4. And the king said, Is there not any of the house of Saul that I might show kindness? Of God to him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame in both feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil in Lodibar. So David discovers that uh, Mephibosheth is living in Lodibar. And it's very interesting when you start to break down this word Lodabar to see it, it tells a story all of its own. When we look at just the natural story, he's living in Lodabar. But there's a hidden message in this. Lodabar is a, a compound of two Hebrew words. Lo meaning no or none. And Dabar in the original context means pasture. Uh, and so where is Mephibosheth living in? In a land of no pasture. We would call that a wilderness or a desert. And so here is uh, 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 poor old Mephibosheth living in a place where there's no pasture, living in the wilderness. And if you've ever been in a wilderness experience, you know it can be quite a difficult experience. You know, it's a, it's a life of deprivation and struggle. Uh, it's a battle to survive. And sometimes in our Christian walk, we find ourselves in places like that. Amen. Right. It's not all just, you know, pie in the sky. It's, it's sometimes we have a real fight on our hands. Now, this is exactly what happened to Mephibosheth. He's hiding out in the wilderness. 
No doubt he's already heard that his father and grandfather are dead. And uh, now that David, the hunted one, is now the king of Israel. I'm sure that's one of the reasons that he is hiding because he knows that he's of the house of Saul and he knows that there's been a long-standing war, at least from Saul's side, against the house of David. And so he's hiding out in the wilderness, eking out an existence, living in poverty. It's really difficult. Um, so David sends for Mephibosheth and uh, in, in verse 5 it says, The king sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. That word fetched is the Hebrew word lachar. And um, lachar means um, to, to snatch by force or uh, to seize, to take out. So that the, the original text uh, uh, appears to be uh, quite ag- aggressive when you go and snatch uh, Mephibosheth. And I think it must have added to his anxiety uh, when he's been dragged out of his hiding place and summoned before the king. Um, you know, I thought, he probably thought, well, while I'm here in the wilderness, I'm pretty safe. But now he's been betrayed and he's now summoned before the king. Obviously... Mephibosheth didn't know about the covenant between Jonathan uh, and David. It's probable that the soldiers didn't either. And that's why they, they were so rough, the rough treatment that he experienced, how they seized him and snatched him out, out of the wilderness. Let me tell you this. I think this is important. Anytime that you are ignorant of the covenant, and Mephibosheth certainly was ignorant of the covenant between his father and David. Any time that you are ignorant of the covenant, you are going to suffer. You are going to suffer loss when you don't know what has been promised to you. Amen? It's important that we know. If you don't know your covenant, you will be dispossessed. You'll be deprived. You'll be living in the wilderness, battling to survive just like Mephibosheth. That's not God's plan and purpose for your life. I've heard Christians say, why is it so difficult? Why is this Christian life so difficult? I want to tell you, when you understand your covenant and you start to believe God, wonderful things can happen and your life can be transformed for good. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And so it's important that we understand this. We need that we understand our covenant. What a lesson for the New Testament church to read and to learn about our covenant rights, to realize the blessings, the privileges, and the gifts and the duties we have as New Testament believers. Knowledge is power. Can you say amen? Amen. Knowledge is power. The more you understand what God has done for you, the more you're able to believe and and, and receive everything that God has for us. Now, I want to say, listen, just because God has given us this new covenant that's so wonderful, that He's blessed us with so many blessings in the new covenant, doesn't mean that life's going to be all plain sailing. I'm sure you've discovered that by now, right? Okay. It's not, you know, it's, it's suddenly all, you know, the treasures of heaven are not going to fall into your lap just because it's written in the covenant. We're going to have to fight the fight of faith. We're going to have to believe God for everything that He said. So it becomes important that we know what is in the covenant. And the enemy will stop us. Uh, he will do everything in his power to stop us understanding the covenant completely. Isn't that true? You know, you think, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible and have my quiet time this morning. Ching, 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 ching. Oh, okay, so you answer that one. Go back. I'm going to have my quiet time. Ching, ching, ching. Oh, no. Not again. 
Then you, you get over that, and there's a knock at the door, there's a, there's a Jehovah's Witness there, or something. You know, there's this, this a real attack sometimes that goes on that keeps us from the Word of God. And it's a spiritual attack, because the enemy wants to keep us ignorant and uninformed about our covenant rights. Can you say Amen. And it's really important that we understand what he's trying to do. Because God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you don't know all the wonderful things that God has done for you, you can't take advantage of them. You can only have faith where the the promise of God has been revealed. The will of God has been revealed. Then you can fight for that. And it's going to be a fight. So if Mephibosheth had known about the covenant... He, would have been, he wouldn't have been in the wilderness, in the desert. He'd have been living the blessed life. Amen. How many know that Jesus has come to give us a blessed life? Amen. Amen. It's a wonderful life if we don't quit. This Christian life is not made for wimps. Okay? But it's a wonderful life. You see, let me say this. If you're not living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, you've been robbed and you're on your way to the wilderness. You're going to find life difficult. You will accept sickness, confusion, poverty, defeat, and bondage as normal in your life. When Christ came to save and redeem us from all that. Can you say amen? Amen. Jesus is our great deliverer. He's our mighty God. So, we are blessed, the Bible tells us, with every spiritual blessing. Christ came to give us life and that more abundantly. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We are rich in, in what Christ has done for us. And if we start to believe the covenant and walk with God, we're going to live the blessed life. Amen? Amen. So, going on. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 5. And then David sent and fetched him out the house of Machir, the son of Anuel, from Lodabar. Incidentally, Anuel means the people of God. So at least Mephibosheth was hanging around with a good company. Uh, he was hanging around with the people of God. And so uh, it, I want you to just, for a moment, just get the big picture. We can see, we can read it as a story. Okay, that's where he was. But there's much more to the story than meets the eye. See, here, Mephibosheth, who is he? He is the prince uh, you know, he's, he's the grandson of King Saul. He, he is a prince of Israel. The grandson of King Saul, he's nobility, the royal seed, scraping by and living in the house of Machir, a salesman. You say, hang on, hang on. Where, where do you get that salesman? I, I've never seen that in the scriptures. Okay. Uh, well, if you look at the, the Hebrew word for Machir, it means salesman. Machir means a salesman, a peddler of goods. So here is the king, uh, the, the, the royal seed, living in the wilderness, in, in the desert, eking out an existence with a man who is a, a, a peddler and a, a, a salesman. They haggle over prices. That's what a salesman does. Um, what a picture. How the mighty have fallen. Instead of the royal courts and palaces with servants and courtiers, Mephibosheth is in the wilderness, working with his hands, living by his wits, plying a trade. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, when when you're a king, when you're anointed, when you are doing that, you are living far below your calling and your destiny in, in God. Amen? And so... 
The, the, the tragedy is that even in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, there are believers who are just like Mephibosheth. They're living way below their calling, way be- below their destiny. God has so much more for them and for us. Amen. God's rich towards us in all that he does. So there are believers even today that are in the same place that Mephibosheth was. They're struggling in a wilderness experience in their life. When God wants to bless them super abundantly. It's ironic. Because the name Mephibosheth actually means the dispeller of shame. And here is, the, here is a prince of Israel living in the wilderness, in the desert. Eking out an existence uh, uh, and working with his hands when he's called uh, to be the dispeller of shame. He's living in poverty, peddling wares. It's ironic. But no more so than Christians, Christ-like ones, who are living in guilt and shame and poverty and fear. Just like Mephibosheth, they are are struggling and not receiving everything that God has them. God has some wonderful things in store for us. Amen. God, it's exciting serving God. I love, I've been serving God for 40 years. Um, You can never drag me back to the world. Because I found a treasure in Christ that is wonderful. My life in God is infinitely better than it ever was in the world. And I'm sure most of you can say amen to that. Amen. So God has these amazing things. But yet there are people who are living like Mephibosheth, way beyond their calling. Now, I said to you, in order to understand the, the deeper meanings, the, the, there's some names I want to give to you. Uh, God showed me something, at, at which I'll share with you at the end, that uh, really blew my mind. But in order to do that, I need to lay this foundation. I'm reading from verses 6 and 8 from the King James. It says, Now Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, incidentally, Jonathan's name means Jehovah-given or God-given. Um, so... Now, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Uh, Kirin was asking what Saul meant last week, and it means asked. Uh, So if you've got a question, you ask. That's what Saul's name means, asked. Okay. So so let's read that verse now without um, uh, doing any more of the the meanings. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, uh, the son of Saul, was come to David. David, incidentally, means lovingly. Loving. If, you, if your name is David, your name means you're a loving person. Okay? And so he comes to David and he falls on his face and did reverence. And David said to Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness, chesed, uh, for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Strange kind of response. Okay. If we understand David means loving, look what happened to Mephibosheth. David was uh, lovingly saved him out of the wilderness, blessed him, restored his prosperity, gave him a hope and a future, seated him at the king's table as one of the king's sons. Now remember, Mephibosheth was lifted from the fall, saved by another, and made a child of the king. This is the gospel in type that that he he was experiencing. So he experienced God's goodness uh, through David. 
But look at his response. I find it very interesting. After experiencing the gospel in time, he says, What is thy servant that thou should look upon such as a dead dog such as I am? He's just experienced the blessing of God and he thinks, Oh, I'm a dead dog. You know, there are Christians who have been blessed, been saved, and been delivered from, from the things of darkness, and they feel just like they're a dead dog. They feel I'm worthless, I'm good for nothing. There's nothing you can do with a dead dog except bury it, you know. And there are many Christians, I won't say they need burying, we, we, that would be unkind, but, you know, there are many Christians who feel that they are inadequate, that, that they are, are worthless, that they, you know, nobody loves them, nobody, nobody really cares. They identify with Mephibosheth. You know, they've been beaten down by the trials of life and they, they, they see themselves as good for nothing, a dead dog. They had low self-esteem. After all that David had done for them, David had redeemed him and he felt worthless. Isn't that a picture of some in the church today? God has done this mighty salvation at the cross. God has saved, healed, delivered, blessed, and prospered. You can go on and on. God has done this mighty work. And yet there are some in the body of Christ who say, I'm worthless. I'm no good. There's, there's nothing that, you know, that I, I amount to. It's a low self-esteem. You see, Mephibosheth was not just lame in his feet. He was lame in his thinking. Can you say amen? <laughs> he was lame because he was thinking badly. I want to share a story about a, a, a lady that uh, we came across in England. She uh, had been molested as a child um, and had been absolutely traumatized. Uh, and, and what an incredibly evil and wicked thing to, to have experienced. Um, and it was really very heartrending. And she had been so messed up and so scarred by this experience, you know. But uh, she got saved. And I, I got to meet her some 30 years after her salvation experience. And her life was still falling apart. Now... Everybody had tried to help her. She was in every prayer line. And she'd been prayed for by some incredibly uh, big names in Christendom. Yet 30 years later, she was still had a victim's mentality. She had made no progress in, in, the, in the things of God. See, Jesus is our saviour our healer and our deliverer. Jesus makes things better if we surrender to him. Amen. If, we, if we're obedient to God, how many know that obedience opens the door to God's blessing? Yes. Amen. It opens the door to His favor. And so um, it, it's, it's really sad that this person was in this situation. Uh, because Jesus is our Savior, Healer, and Deliverer. Bob God, God, Gass said, you know, if you've been saved for 30 years and you still uh, are struggling, you're still a victim, then you're not a victim of circumstances. You're a victim by choice. And I think that Jesus does deliver. Jesus does save. And so if we haven't received it, we, we need to... Un the, the fault is not with God. The fault is with us. Can you say amen? So some people choose negative attention to no attention at all. And it's so sad when believers see their tragedy or misfortune as a greater work than the cross. Because there is no greater work in all of the universe than what Jesus did at the cross. What Jesus did was all-encompassing. It's all healing, all deliverance, all blessing is found in Jesus and at the cross. And it's a great tragedy, you know, when, when people say, my, my, my sin or my, my experience is greater than what Jesus has done at the cross. Wrong. 
Nothing you can do, nothing that's been done to you, nothing you've done is greater than the work at the cross. Can you say amen? See, God's grace is greater than your sin. He's greater than your biggest mistake or your greatest tragedy. It's greater than your sins, iniquities and transgressions. It's not what you have done or have had done to you or what you haven't done. That's important. It's what Jesus has done. It's what Jesus did at the cross. And if we look to Jesus, we can experience any kind of deliverance that we need because He is our great deliverer. You see... The salvation that Jesus provides was perfect. He said, it's finished. The atonement for your failings have been dealt with. There's mercy in the blood. There's forgiveness, cleansing, healing, deliverance, reconciliation, protection, sanctification, justification, and so much more in the blood of Jesus Christ. God is our Savior, Healer, and Deliverer. In the words of the old song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. You see, the sacrifice of Christ is all encompassing and it's all healing. It's all deliverance. We need to believe what God has said and we'll experience what God has promised. So it's a huge mistake to think our sin or our tragedy is greater than Christ's sacrifice. When I became this lady's pastor, I was so devastated by what had happened to her, I determined that I was going to spend time with her and try and, and, and minister to her. And honestly, I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours with her, years of trying to untangle the bitterness uh, in her heart and the, the wrong thinking that she had developed. She'd grown up and developed this for, uh, fortress mentality where just nothing seemed to get through. And, and it was really difficult, you know. She was struggling. And, uh, you know, I spent time with her trying to change her stinking thinking. And eventually, the penny dropped. Eventually, the penny dropped. And Jesus delivered her from the misery of the memory. Praise God. I love that little saying. I think Joyce Meyer said it first. But, you know, it, it, it really says what Jesus does. He delivers us from the misery of the memory. The past is healed. And so she was no longer a victim. When she began to live by the word of God and began to live by the covenant, she became a victor. And she became a really powerful woman of God because, of, because she was living by the, the promises found in God's word. You know, just because somebody has treated you like a dog doesn't make you one. You know, we're going to rise up from where we are and go and sit and take our place at the king's table. That's what we ought to do because Christ has done an amazing job for us. So, where had Mephibosheth been hiding? Anybody remember? Lodabar. Well done. <laughs> Praise God. Okay. And Lodabar, as I said to you, was a compound of two words, low and debar, meaning no, no pasture. Um, but there's also a, a, a deeper meaning uh, to, to Lodabar because it's a compound of those two words, low and debar. And uh, the, the word debar uh, in Hebrew often uh, is the word used for word. Like, uh, like rhema or logos uh, that we say in Greek, uh, the word for the word in, in Hebrew is uh, debar. Um, and so when, when we put it together, the wilderness is a place of no word. A place of no word. A place where, uh, where we struggle and uh, experience hardship because there's no pasture. There's no, there's, it's a desert place. 
But if you look at the root meanings, the origins, you discover an incredibly uh, insightful information. Lodabar, no word. The, the deeper meaning then is Lodabar, no commandment, no communication, no word. And when you have no word or no commandment of God, what is it? You are living in Lodabar, a spiritual wilderness where there's no pasture for the child of God. You see how it all comes together? So we've all spent time wandering in the wilderness and de- desert times. Can I, can I have an amen? Okay. Okay. Wait, it's coming. It's coming. If you haven't had a wilderness experience, it's coming. <laughs> but the good news is you don't have to stay in the wilderness. There's a wonderful place that God has experienced for us. You see? So uh, the question then becomes, how do we get out of the wilderness? How do we get out from our desert experience? Wouldn't you like to know? Yes. We'll come back next week. No, no. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So how do we get out of this desert experience? We need a word from God. Because the, the wilderness, the desert, is Lodabar, no word, no speaking, no God. Okay. So the way to get out of the wilderness, to get out of the desert place, which we are inevitably led into from time to time, is to get into the word. The mistake that we so often make as believers is that we think we need a specific God-given word to come out the wilderness. But Lodabar says it's a place of no word. So you need the word of the Lord. Any word from the Lord is a good word. Can I have an amen? And so... Here, here, what we need to do is we, we, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, when we find ourselves in, in, in a desert experience, we need to uh, implement the Word of God in our life. So it's not a specific word. It's the Word of God, any Word of God. I can personally testify that when I find myself drifting into a, a, a wilderness experience, a desert experience, the way I've come out of it, I knew this experientially before I understood it theologically, was to get into the Word of God. And I'm telling you, I can almost guarantee that most people have gone into the wilderness, into the desert, because there's been no Word in their life. You know, you've let your quiet time slip, and before you know it, you find you're struggling, you're in that hard place, in that barren place where there is no Word. But the solution is to get back into the Word of God. Because Lodabar means no word, but we have a word. The word of God never fails. Amen. Amen. And so that's how we come out of the, the desert experience that we have. Spend more time in the word. More time. You know, if, if what you're doing is not working, spend more time in the word and God will speak unto us. So while we're looking at the origins uh, of words, let's look at Mephibosheth. I told you the straight translation uh, is, is normally the dispeller of shame. And that's really what Mephibosheth's name. But when you look at the root meaning of, of uh, Mephibosheth, you get a, a deeper understanding. It reveals a hidden truth. And the root meaning of Mephibosheth means to scatter confusion. Something that would be good round about now. Amen? Yes. <laughs> yeah. okay. so, uh, so Mephibosheth means to scatter confusion. I'm going to pull all this together for you at the end. So don't worry if you think he's gone down a rabbit child and he'll never return. I, I know where I'm going. Hallelujah. So, so it, he, he really uh, means uh, that he is the, the scatterer of shame or confusion. I beg your pardon. So... Who was Mephibosheth staying with? Machir. Well done. You did well there. Okay. okay, so 
Mekir was the salesman, a peddler of wares, somebody who haggles over price. The root word of Mekir means to surrender. So how does a salesman surrender? You know, a salesman sets out with the objective of selling a, a, an object, but an object is only worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. Amen? You know, you can ask any price for it, but it's only worth what somebody is prepared to pay for it. And so they haggle over the price, and ultimately the, the seller surrenders and accepts the price of the buyer. So Mephibosheth means to, uh, uh, sorry, Makir means to surrender. I beg your pardon. Makir means to surrender. So many times the peddler uh, tries, to, to, tries to get a better deal than, than is possible, but ultimately he has to surrender to the buyer who's willing to price. Now, let me bring you, bring you to pull this all together for you as we're about to close. Remember I said to you, to understand the meaning of the names, it reveals a hidden message and deeper insight. Uh, when I first read this text, uh, as, it, as it's translated, I'm just going to read it to you straight out of the Bible. And then we're going to read it without the names. I'm going to put the, the meanings of the names in the place of the names. Okay? But if I haven't confused you enough from then, I'm going to read it from, from right to left. So I'm going to read it backwards. Okay? <laughs> You're laughing. You think that's the end. We're going to read it from, from bottom to top, from the end to the beginning, back to front, right to left. And you think, well, that can't make any sense whatsoever. How on earth that's going to be gibberish? Okay, well, hold on to your seats because, listen, this is what we've been working up to. Okay, so I'm going to read Second Samuel chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, as it's translated in the King James. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, uh, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. Okay? So the last thing he says, Mephibosheth, is behold thy servant. Okay? So it's possible... When we look at this, to translate the verse this way, without the names, just the meanings, starting at the end, going backwards from left to right and from top to bottom, bottom to top, I should say. So God showed me this last week, and I thought, how is this possible? Okay, would you like to? Would you like to to know? Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to ask for you to put this up, and I want you to just read the bold print because this is. We've just read Second uh, Samuel nine five. This is Second uh, Samuel uh, nine five, with the names replaced and reading as I described. Behold thy servant. That's the end. Behold thy servant, the dispeller of shame, lovingly asked God's given son to scatter the confusion as he comes from the wilderness to the people of God and surrenders himself as a loving king. It makes sense. Amazingly, it makes sense. So, what is that? You know, I see that. I see a picture of Christ meditating upon his ministry, what he's about to do in type. So, again, just once more behold thy servant, the dispeller of shame, lovingly asks God's given son to scatter the confusion as he comes from the wilderness to the people of God and surrenders himself as the loving king. This is a picture of Jesus. This is a picture of Jesus meditating on his ministry. 
and it's there hidden in the text to be dug out for those that wish to dig it out. I think that God wants to speak into us. And I'm going to ask if we could just bow our heads in a word of prayer this morning. I want to just share with you that God loves you so much. So much that he was willing to go to the cross to pay the punishment for our sins. All our sins. The sins we've committed in the past. The sins we're committing right now. And the sins that we are yet to commit. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus Christ. That we might be forgiven any and all sins. Amazingly. God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, that we might be forgiven, that we might be adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. I want to tell you that God loves you. And God wants to help you no matter what you're going through, what, whatever difficulty you're going through. There is an answer in Christ. There is hope in Jesus. And I want you to know that, that, that God wants to embrace you and make, make your life better. He wants to bless you exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think this morning. God wants to bless you. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And every spiritual blessing is ours. He's blessed us, given us the life and that more abundantly. I don't know what you are experiencing this morning. I don't know what battles, what struggles you're fighting. Maybe you've been wandering in the wilderness and wondering, where, where are you, God? What's going on in my life? I want to tell you that your loving Father wants to embrace you and help you and lead you out of that place. He wants to bring you to, uh, the, to still waters. He wants to lead you by streams of living water and to bless you. If you have a need in your life, any need, any need at all, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I would consider it a great privilege if there's anybody here that, that I could pray for. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. Father, you see the needs in these, your people. And I thank you, Lord, that you have more than abundantly provided for everything that we have. And Lord, I don't know the trials and the tribulations that your people are going through, but you know every hair upon their head. You know everything that they're suffering. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would wrap your loving arms around about them, that you would lead them out of Lodabar, that you would bring them into a place of rich and pastoral, with living waters, that you would bless their life, Lord, in wonderful ways. I pray that you would lift them up, and Lord, that you would help them to get into the Word, that they would be able to be sustained and encouraged and fed as they begin to realize the things that you have done for us. And so, Lord, we want to join our faith with those that have indicated a desire to be ministered to. And we ask you, Heavenly Father, to meet their needs, whatever they are. Lord, meet them and show them the love of Jesus. Show them, Lord, that, that your plans for our life are for good and not for evil. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd walk in the blessings of God. Everyone who raised their hand, Lord, I pray that this would be a turning point for them, that they would see and know and understand the great love of God, their mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Father, I just want to lift up everybody that's here this morning. We all have loved ones. We all have friends, Lord, that are going through difficulties and trials. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would draw them unto the cross. That you would save them, Heavenly Father, through for all that they are going through. We pray that you would bless our loved ones, Lord, that the Spirit of God would rest upon them, giving them hope and a future, Lord, uh, restoring them to everything that you have for them. So bless them, Lord. Bless each and every one of us that are gathered here in Jesus' name. Father, minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Praise you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Dave, would you like to lead us in a a closing song while while you're choosing that uh, to give you the announcements? Uh, My apologies, I'm having to...